Brothers and sisters, while remain standing, uh, allow me to, to read the passage that's going to be uh, the basis of our sermon today, which is taken from John chapter 11, but I'm only going to read from verses 17 to 37. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the, the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind, of the, the blind man also kept this man from dying? Please be seated. That's the reading of God's word. May the Lord add his richest blessing and write his words upon our hearts this morning. Now, brothers and sisters, this uh, past Monday, uh, I attended, actually I was in charge of a funeral of a dear friend of ours who happened to be a congregation of one of our linked church at St. Stephen. His name was Gerd, uh, a person from German who married to an Indonesian lady. Uh, very, uh, me and my family have known Gerd and his family for many years. Now, if you know Gerd, um, he can be summed up in many words, but if you know him, I, I taught the congregation in, in my reflection that he can be summed up in one big word, and that in one word, and that word is big. He is tall. He's really he he really was a big guy, towering at almost two meters, and you wouldn't that means you wouldn't miss him in a crowd, especially among Indonesians. You wouldn't miss him in any gathering anyway because Gert had a big personality. You know when Gert was around because there would be huge laughter and sometimes very lively discussions. In fact, of all the people who spoke their eulogies uh, last Monday, uh, some of the words that uh, were repeated was Gert was larger than life. He was a dear and unforgettable friend. 
Obviously, when I visited Theresia and Kim, the wife and the daughter, I came to learn more big things about Gerd. He was a big thinker, a big problem solver. He's got all these achievements, and his friends and clients can testify to his sincerity and work ethics. But I did tell the congregation that morning that despite Gerd's big size and big achievements, he had one big problem. And Gerd's one big problem is actually our problem as well. And it is a problem that is often hard to talk about and very difficult to go through. It is the problem of death. Death is a big problem. Whole industries are making billions to find ways to face death, to challenge death, and if possible, to cancel death. But to date, we know that the problem of death remains unsolved. They say death is the great leveler. That means when we face death, whether it's our own or other people's, it puts us all on the same level. It's a problem that we all must face. It doesn't matter whether you're big and tall like my friend Gerd, or skinny and small like some of us. You could own millions in the bank or be drowning in debts. You could be deeply religious or a total agnostic or non-believer in any religion even. It doesn't matter who you are in life, you will face, you will face this big problem, the problem of death. And that brings us to today's passage in John 11. I'm, I'm pretty sure most of you are familiar with this story, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now Lazarus, along with his sisters Martha and Mary, were some of Jesus' closest and dearest friends. That's mentioned in the early verses. You can, if you look um, in your Bible, um, verse, uh, verse 3, I believe, uh, uh, it Verse, verse 3, uh, so the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. They don't even need to use the name Lazarus. Everybody knows when they say he whom you love, he is talking, they are talking about Lazarus. Jesus loved them dearly. But in this story, despite their relationship with Jesus, they are facing the same big problem, the problem of death. Apparently, Lazarus got really, really sick, and they waited for Jesus, and they waited, and they waited until Lazarus eventually dies. And we are familiar with the encounter as well. When Jesus arrived, we see the same exact word repeated by both sisters. When Martha saw Jesus, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Short time later, when she uh, called, uh, asked Mary, Mary came, came as well, and she came where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet, verse 32, saying to him, exact same word, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I think this is one of the main things that this passage is trying to teach us. It's a problem about God's timing. You see, if you look in your Bibles, you will find that God often gets his people to wait. Abraham has to wait 
until the promised child is born. Joseph has to wait in, in prison for many, many years away in Egypt. Uh, God's people eventually, as you know, has to wait for the Messiah to come. That's why in almost in most Christmas services, we, we sing the song, right? O come, O come, Emmanuel. The pe- your people have been waiting for you. Even uh, earlier in, in the song that we sang earlier, late in time. It's not saying that God is late, but it seems his delay caused us to think, when is coming? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But at the same time, I'm always impressed at how honest the Bible is when it comes to suffering and death. You see, the Bible faces human problems, human suffering, head on. It doesn't sugarcoat it. It doesn't pretend that it's not there. It doesn't talk with high and lofty religious platitudes. It's there in the tears and snot and dirt and pain. The Bible talks about the messiness of fears, of tears mixed with faith, anger, grief, and a whole lot of confusion that comes with facing or experiencing death. The Bible is not ashamed of our big questions and emotions, especially when facing death. Look at how Jesus reacted in this particular passage. When Jesus saw her, this is Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He doesn't go, shush, where's your faith? He doesn't go, go away with those tears. Worship me. No. In fact, the words there that says deeply moved in his spirits can mean a, a deep grief because something that's troubling and, and that's causing sadness, anger, and deep upset. Why is that? Friends, because the God that we have, the God of the Bible, is not a God who stands aloof far up there in heaven, not caring about our pain and loss. We see this clearly through Jesus, the Son of God. Notice that he doesn't scold Martha or Mary and told them to stop wailing and start worshiping. (laughs) No. I'd actually say that by Martha and Mary coming to Jesus with their tears, with their question, where have you been? We've been waiting for you. We've been praying for you. If you notice had not been here. They really wish Jesus was there to touch or say some words or something to Lazarus to raise him from his um, uh, terminal illness. But what I'm going to say is when Martha and Mary come to Jesus with their tears and questions, they are actually worshiping him. That is, despite their seemingly weak faith, they are actually acknowledging him as the one who would welcome and embrace them and including us with all our big questions and emotions included. If you look in your Bible, Jesus even responded to Martha and Mary differently. To Martha, what did Jesus, the Son of God, do in the face of death? Right after Martha 
said those words, few sentences later, Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Now this is a big claim, a huge claim, a massive claim. I'm pretty sure I can guarantee you can search through all the religious leaders, philosophers, dead or alive, you will find no person ever making this claim. They can talk about resurrection, they can talk about life, even eternal life, they can teach you about what might or might not happen in, happen in heaven or in the world to come, but none of them ever said what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. It's a big claim. It, um, it's, it actually means more than Jesus is the one who gives resurrection and life, although that's true. Actually, he explains ver- further in uh, in next sentence, whoever believes in me, notice that, present tense, okay? Right now, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Friends, to tell you the truth, I can just stop my sermon here. Okay, listen to those words again. Whoever, it's a blanket statement to anyone. Doesn't matter whether big, tall, rich, poor, successful, epic failure. Whoever, if you are in this whoever, this is for you. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Brothers and sisters, what Jesus is saying is this. For those who believe in Jesus, our physical death, which we'll experience sooner or later, is only the gateway to eternal life. A life that is far bigger, a life that is far better, a life that is far long-lasting than even the biggest sights and achievement this world can offer. offer. But not only that, he also warns us on the flip side that for those who do not believe in Jesus, they will experience final death. There is eternal separation from God. This is what it means in the second sentence. Everyone who believes and believes in me shall never die. That's the eternal, the final death, the death after our physical death. So for those who believe in Jesus, they will never experience that final death. That's what Jesus is saying. They will never experience that final and eternal separation from God. Again, this is a big claim. I mean, to prevent somebody's dying is one thing, but to guarantee that this will happen to you after you die, that's got to be something else. In other words, Jesus faces the big problem of death head on with a bigger solution and that solution is none other than himself. He's basically saying, I'm the solution to death. This is the opposite to the, the, the poem, I believe, quoted in Oppenheimer. I have become death. <laughs> okay. 
No, Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. The solution to our big problems depends not on how we feel, what we imagine afterlife to be. The solution to our big problems depends, hinges on this truth of who Jesus is. The resurrection and the life. He calls us to put our trust in him. In fact, if you look at your Bible, the, the, the next words that I don't put there on the slide is, do you believe this? Are you going to embrace this? Are you going to take this free offer of me offering myself to you? He calls us to put our trust in him. He who is the only solution to death. So we have a big problem, death, but God has a bigger solution. Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Now, brothers and sisters, just like Mary and Martha, we, we do and we may have questions and uncertainties when we lose or we think about the, 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 our loved ones. And in this world, we all grieve together when our loved one passes away or in the slow process of dying. And some of you have or are experiencing that sort of grief. We weep with their family, with our families and friends. But in this moment of grief and weeping, that is just the moment when our God, when Jesus draws near to those whom he loves. You see, Jesus not only knows our griefs, he also knew what it was to die. That means you and I can come to him with our tears and pain anytime. Not only when we are facing death or terminal illness, any kind of pain that you can experience from a relatively normal pain on stepping on a Lego to a deep and serious pain of either losing your life or losing your loved ones, you can come to Jesus. Because we can come to him with our tears and pain anytime, and I guarantee you by his word that he will welcome us anytime. That's the practical meaning of Jesus saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. You will experience any and many forms of death in your life. Stuck in a traffic, difficult relationship, get fired from your job, losing a certain uh, career opportunity, or even going through serious illness. But notice this, Jesus doesn't wait until we have somehow passed to a certain stage of grief. He doesn't wait for us to be perfect. Notice when Martha and Mary came to him, he didn't even say, he didn't even qualify them. Both of their faith are, are weak, but they're weak in different stages and different expressions, and yet Jesus welcomed them both. Notice that he doesn't even compare between Mary and Martha. He accepts both of their questioning of his timing. Your timing is so bad. Not only that you're late, but you let our brother Lazarus die and now dead for four days. So let's look at Lazarus. He's been dead for four days by the time Jesus arrived. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. That's just the way they built a cemetery back in those days. By the way, if you look at the photos, that's usually a huge cave, and inside you can put in probably a bunch of 
dead bodies. Okay, so Lazarus is not the only dead body in the tomb. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, I really like the way uh, John, uh, the apostle, write this. Um, you will notice that they only use the word Lazarus a few times, and the rest he's being referred to as the, the dead man, the dying man, the man who had died. It's, the situation is purposely put in such a way to show us the hopelessness of Lazarus' situation. Martha is not called the sister of Lazarus, he's called the sister of the dead man. Said to him, Lord, by this time, he smells. There will be an odor. He stinks, for he has been dead for days. Now the rabbis, this is not the Bible's belief, by the way, but the rabbis in those days believe that when people die, for three days, your spirit still sort of hovering, is still around. But past three days, you go back to the next world. Okay? So physically, traditionally, culturally, everything is hopeless about this Lazarus business. He is not dead. He's dead, dead. Okay? That's, that's the point of this story. Yet Jesus say, take away the stone. That's the last thing that you think someone would say in front of a tomb. So they took away the stone. Jesus um, lifted up his eyes. This is verse 41, I believe, or 40. And he prayed, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard, hear me. This is basically expressing his closeness, his unity with his father. So, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Now, friends, these words, you sent me, is probably one of the most often repeated phrases in the Gospel of John. It seems that John is trying very hard to drill into our minds that Jesus Christ is the only authorized person, the only authorized envoy by God that can only do the things that God can do. That they may believe that you sent me. Verse 41. Now this is the famous um, uh, raising of Lazarus event. And we had said, when he had said these things, he cried out with not a soft voice, but a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. And notice that again. The man who had died. Not the Lazarus, the man who had died, the man whose situation is hopeless, helpless, came out, hands and feet bound with linen, which how they used to wrap uh, the dead back in the days, linen strips and his face wrapped up in cloth. I believe it would have been quite comical to see this um, sort of mummy coming out of the uh, tomb. And Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. Jesus raised him back to life. That means Jesus is bigger than death. Mankind's biggest problem, D-E-A-T-H, bows down under the person and the power of Jesus. In one of the random YouTube ads that I get these days, there's an ad, um, you may have seen it. Um, I didn't get to Note word by word, but it goes along this way. 
Hey, my name is David. When I was 19, I failed uni. When I was 20, I failed my cafe business and a whole bunch of epic failure. But now, I run a multi-million dollar business and even by stopping the ad, I know what he's going to say next. Do you know what he's going to say next? And you can too, <laughs> yeah? If you buy my course, if you follow this whatever, okay? Um, resurrection from the dead, even if it's business study, it's, it's actually the, the deep desire of every human being. Nobody wants to live as an epic failure. In fact, in one of my favorite James Bond movie, I can't remember the title now, but not the one where he dies, sorry, spoiler, maybe the two before, he was asked this question by his uh, enemy, what do you want? And James Bond simply said, resurrection. Because that's the theme of the story. Rising from the dead, rising from a hopeless situation. And that's exactly the point of these miracles. It connects with the deep desires of our hearts. I already shown you in some of uh, my uh, past previous sermons, right? How uh, the Gospel of John purposely records only seven miracles before Jesus' resurrection. So I already shown this slide a few times. Uh, walk, walk into wine, chapter two, healing the official son, chapter four, healing the invalid, chapter five, chapter six, have two miracles, feeding the five thousands, and Jesus walking on water, healing the blind man, chapter nine, which went through few, uh, for a few weeks, and today, raising of Lazarus. The last and final and biggest miracle, notice that nobody actually expected that Jesus would raise Lazarus. You will notice that in, in verse 37, for example, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind, it doesn't say also raise him from death, but also kept this man from dying. That's the same faith that Martha and Mary had, right? Lord, if you had not been here, you could have kept my brother from dying. Lord, we believe in your power, you believe in your majesty, we believe in your sovereignty. The one thing that we have problem with you, Lord, excuse me, is your time. Your time is pretty lame. You don't follow our agenda, that's the problem. Hence the title of this sermon, when God's good timing seems bad to us. But God's timing, if we know who Jesus is, is never bad. It's always good. I mean, if you notice all the miracles, all the seven miracles, you go back to it, including this one. It's always about by timing, help the situation, people confused, right? People not knowing what Jesus is going to do. And that's just life, isn't it? <laughs> Your life and mine. And yet, the main point is all these seven miracles in the Gospel of John, I know there's, there's more, ultimately are signposts to the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Not only Jesus is the resurrection and the life, he himself proves it by his dying and rising from the dead, which by the way, guys, is one of the most fully documented historical event back in the first century. And you have that document in your hands. 
which is in your Bible. You can find no other document in the first century, second century, third, even many centuries later, that is more complete, more rigorously attested than the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I used to listen to a, a Christian rapper named Trip Lee, and many years ago, he, in one of his albums, he released a song titled Lazarus, and this is, I'm not going to sing it for you, but this is uh, uh, the chorus. From now on, you can call me Lazarus, former dead man walking Lazarus. Friends, in a very true sense, those who believe in Jesus, we are all Lazarus. We are all former dead men and women. But we already have that guarantee that one day, despite how, how long, in what way we die, one day Jesus will call us personally from our graves back to life. Our personal name, he will call out. And we'll call, the difference between Lazarus is he, he, he's being raised from the dead and many years later he has to die physically. And that, that's, what, that's where the contrast between the raising of Lazarus and Jesus' rise, Jesus's resurrection from the dead. Jesus was risen from the dead not to die again. So, so it is with us. Jesus will call us from our graves back to life, not for another 20, 70, 80, or 100 years, but for eternity. Death is a big problem for each one of us because we are all born in this old era, old time, for example, of um, old order of things, where one virus could bring the whole world into a halt, where nations fight against each other, where sickness, suffering, and death seem like it's just a normal part of life. But Jesus brings us a far bigger hope, a far newer old order, eternal life guaranteed by his own resurrection from the dead. In his Narnia Chronicles, in the last book titled The Last Battle, C.S. Lewis captures this order beautifully. And I, I really like this quote. Um, it's a bit long, but I think it's worth thinking on. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. We can almost truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. That's our lives, guys. Cover and title page. Now at least, their beginning, notice that, chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which, notice this, every chapter is better than the one before. Isn't that what we all long for? Not just long life with good health, but eternal life with God after death. For us who believe in Jesus, no matter how weak and how frail our faith is, this is our hope. This is why good God's timing is always good for us because the death in Jesus' birth, death and resurrection, we all have hope for a new beginning, a better beginning, 
a bigger beginning, a chapter one of the great story where one millennia is better than the one before. There was once a gentleman who visited the home of a poor French couple where he saw um, Pepper decorating their wall, 1,000 francs, which is around $1,000 today, $1,500 today, covering the walls. So notes of 1,000 francs. And they asked, uh, this gentleman asked the couple how they got that, their wall decorated with 1,000 one uh, francs uh, worth of money, more, more than thousands of uh, um, francs worth of money. They answered, they had found a poor soldier who had been wounded, and they had nursed him in their home until he died. And he had given those money to them. For this couple, the money is such a nice memorial of this dying soldier. It's such a nice memory that they caused it to be plastered on the wall where they would always be able to see it. Little did they know, they were surprised, obviously, when the gentleman told them, that this wall is worth quite a fortune to them if they turn it into money. But the tragedy is that's how often we treat our Christian life. We have this big power, this great gift of Jesus' resurrection life given to us. But oftentimes we live like this poor couple. God's good timing is great comfort for those who walk with Jesus. It's the greatest comfort. It's the only comfort. I am the resurrection and the life. If Jesus is able to give life to Lazarus' decomposing body, he can give spiritual life to the spiritually dead. And if this is you today, it's only a matter of accepting and believing and walking with Jesus. It means trusting in his timing. Jesus' plan for us is not for our comfort, not for our ease, but to develop our faith. That's why sometimes his timing, timing seems to be really off and put us in a really hopeless situation. But there is no better way for faith to grow than to trust God's timing. On the other hand, if you look at down later after this event in verse 46 it says many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what he did believed in him that's a good response but 46 but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done you can read the 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 next um, 10 or so verses and you will notice there are those who witnessed Jesus's miracles and believe but there are those who witness Jesus' miracles and yet remain stubborn in their sin. In fact, the response of the Pharisees and Caiaphas, the high priest, shows us how wicked, how dark, how dead the human heart is apart from God's grace. And it's also a reminder that someone like Caiaphas can rise to the highest level of religion of the church, and still spiritually dead. 
That's why God's good timing is great comfort for those who walk with Jesus, but also a great warning for those who walk away from Jesus. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Our gracious Father, have mercy on us. Please.